Hello and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online services. We are so excited to have you here today. Please be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And if you wanna watch this message again or some of our other messages, you can always look us up on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service. Hey, yo, good morning. My wife gets to make the bed and do my laundry. I mean, <laughs> oh, I'm going to pay for that. I am so glad to be with you here. I feel like I have a message direct from my heart from heaven for you even though I can't see you with these blazing lights. Forgot my glasses, but I might as well have sunglasses on. But whoever you are, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, I really believe that Jesus is going to speak to you through, uh, in, a, in a fresh way through a passage that you probably have heard right up there with David and Goliath and every single other one that's out there. I want to talk with you about the power of the storm and I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 8, 22 to 25. Let me jump into that first real quick, read this to you, and then we'll go from here. One day, he got into the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, meaning Jesus. And a windstorm came on the lake, and they were, fill and they were filled with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, meaning the disciples, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who is this that commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would, you would take this word from here to our seat and from our seat to the street of our life, and that we would not just simply be hearers of the word, but doers of it. Lord, shift our thinking. If we need to change, we just say to you this morning, God, we're ready. We're ready to put the effort in. We thank you that you're not looking for perfection. You're just looking for direction uh, in the right direction of our lives. And so we just say to you today, speak to us, and we will set and chart the course wherever that is, even into the storm. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of people don't know this, but the Sea of Galilee is not a, a sea. It's not salt. It's actually a lake. And it's about seven miles by 13 miles. And to see this, I wish I could throw you on a plane and take every single one of you this morning to Israel, but we can't do that. But I can actually put up on the screen a couple of newer friends of mine who have a great site, and uh, their information is in the page you've gotten. But if you turn your attention to the screen, I want to take you to see a galley that helps us understand better our story this morning. Behind us is a very big storm coming our way, and it's going to get here in just a few minutes. And Rod and I want to see if this storm can cause waves large enough to flip over a boat. A boat such as the disciples would have been on 2,000 years ago when Jesus calmed the storm. Are you excited? I'm nervous. <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> I don't want to stick around for this. 
But it's also cool at the same time. <laughs> well, let's see what happens. Yeah, let's see what happens. Today, we're going into a storm in the Sea of Galilee. And we want to do that because of two reasons. Number one, this is about the famous miracle that is recorded in the Bible, where Jesus calms this giant storm. A storm that is so big that the disciples were afraid they're going to drown. Which leads us to reason number two. The Sea of Galilee is not known to have big storms or high waves. In fact, most people who live here in their entire lifetime have never seen high waves. And there is a good reason for that. The Sea of Galilee is not a sea by any normal definition. It is rather a very small lake, measuring only 13 miles long by 7 miles wide. In comparison, it is 15,000 times smaller than the Mediterranean Sea, which is a real sea, by the way. So given its small size, it is very unlikely to see high waves here, because high waves would require a rather extreme storm, which fortunately is very rare in this area. And that's because the Sea of Galilee is located 700 feet below the sea level. Well, the real sea level. This makes this area warmer and more protected from the storms. And to make things even sweeter, it sits at the northern edge of the Jordan Rift Valley, a depression area that is known for its warm weather, lack of rain, and lack of storms. So if you've been to Israel before, chances are this lake was as calm as a cat. And that's because this is what it's like all year round. Which brings us here today. When my dad sent me a message saying a big storm is coming, in fact, it's so big that they're closing down some districts and schools in the area. So Rhoda and I thought this could be a rare opportunity to witness the legendary high waves and capture them on camera. Because we know that the approximate height of the rails is about four feet, we can take this measurement, drag it to the lowest point of the wave, and estimate that the height of the wave is about the same, four feet. And so while this water looks unusual for us, it certainly does not look big enough to make professional fishermen be scared for their lives. But luckily, we were able to gain access to another footage. The year 1992. When a famous Israeli director, Moshe Alpert, captures one of the greatest storms ever recorded on tape in the Sea of Galilee. And if we use the same analysis method, we can estimate that the height of the waves to be as high as 10 feet. On smaller boats, waves this high can definitely be considered life-threatening, even for experienced fishermen. just helps you see uh, what that was like. Most of the, I've been there so many times, and one of the things that you do is you hop on the boat, and you go out in the middle, and it's nice and cool, kuna matata, cool sailing. But I've been there a couple of times where the, feet, where the waves weren't 10, but they were about six feet high, and it's just incredibly abnormal. 
But here it says that the disciples get in a boat, that a windstorm comes on the lake, fills it with water, and that they're in danger of drowning and dying. Um, I have to pause because I have something important I forgot to do. Could you guys let me, would you be all right with that? What are you going to say? No? Like somebody said no. Actually, I heard somebody say no. Matt, I, I told Sienna last week that she was to get herself one of these gardenias, and you vultures like swept in so fast. She didn't even get one. And so I just, if you would make sure that she gets these and just tell her that we love her and appreciate her, and uh, you can say they're from you. <laughs> just help my man out right now. That's all. So we're we're glad that you guys took all of those there. I was just like, Sienna, you need to have one of those. I should have pulled one back because they all just went whoosh. And then I'm like, surely there's one in the bathroom. And they're even gone from the bathroom. You know who you were who took that one from the bathroom. But I I said that you could do that. So So that's the Sea of Galilee. That's uh, Sergio and Rhoda and hoping to get together with them the next time I go over there. They're just just awesome people. But how how do you apply a passage like this? to your life. You know, a rigid, it's funny when you get into the higher up in education you go, the more rigid and narrow it gets sometimes. Like, well, this is talking about a storm. And so really it's talking about trusting Jesus when hurricanes like hit. And I'm like, eh, you know, although I had a tornado go through my front yard once. Did I ever tell you that story? I'm in the Midwest. And I'm, at this time, I'm living in Missouri, and I'm saying to myself, I want to see a tornado. So my friend gets a CB, and he's like, dude, when the sirens go and everybody goes to shelter, we're hitting the road. Sounded like a smart idea. Totally stupid. And so, so we, we, we chased about maybe six or seven storms, never saw anything, got a window broken from hail, nothing happens. And all... all uh, spring when you're in school, like usually February, March, they keep playing in the cafeteria over and over again what, uh, how a hurricane, uh, how a tornado forms, how a tornado, uh, how you know it can happen, what an anvil cloud is, you know, what a wall cloud is, all, all these different indicators of what it means if the sky goes green and all this, and hail. And so I'm, I'm doing that. And then they talk about how the pressure builds up so much that literally houses have blasted out their windows because the, the vacuum that it creates. And so I go home so disappointed that I've never seen a tornado. And I'm in my house in Connecticut. And all of a sudden, my ears start to hurt. And I look out the window, and the sky is green. And then all of a sudden, hail is forming. I remember they tell you that if you, if you have a tornado going right by, you should open up a window or two on either side of the house so it doesn't build up pressure and blow out. And so I open up one window, get it open, run downstairs, and then I open the other, and it's like the whole house breathes. It goes, oh! I'm like, it sounded like a freight train. It took the tree out of my front yard and chucked it across the way. It literally went between my house, in front of my house, jumped up, landed for a little bit, jumped over the Catholic church, praise God, and then landed and ripped up like this. And I was like, yes, I saw a tornado. I was just loving it. But when I was a kid, I went out into mid-Atlantic on a fishing boat with my father and my brother. And I mean, like, we're talking like Flemish caps. We're talking like, 
you know, perfect storm, Andrea Gale, and we got hit so bad, we were literally, you had a harness on you and they lock like you and then they connect you to the thing because the boat is going like this and the, the water's going bosh and then it's going to the other side and the water's going bam and like, like if you're not buckled in, you're gone, you're gone. And so that's why I'm scarred today every time I turn on a water fountain. Um, but storms can be serious. Some of you have seen, I mean, look at tsunamis and, and hurricanes and all these things. But how do we apply this to our life? I can't just say that this passage just says to me, basically like, trust Jesus when you're commuting to work in a rainstorm. A great, great teacher of mine, his name's Walt Kaiser. He's like one of the great Old Testament professors. I had him as a professor. He was also the president of a school I went to. And he, he said this, this is just great advice, especially for those of you who are attending and for those of you that, that could attend Pastor Dylan's class where they're going through the Bible. It is just absolutely awesome. If you were in that class and you appreciated that, could you just put it together for Dylan, huh? He, uh, I walked into the room with a sign, holler for a scholar, holler for a scholar. He's, he's doing such a great job, but, but how do, you, how do you get the Bible to apply to your life? It's really applicable to us. And you, what you need to ask yourself is, is what did it originally mean to them, meaning the people of that time, their culture, their language, their history? See, their culture, language, and history is not yours. Then you need to say, what was the principle that God was trying to get? What was the point that he was trying to get across to them? Once you get that, then you can pick up that truth and you can export it and say, how can I import this into my life today without violating what it meant to them? You know, because otherwise you do crazy things like the wind is the Holy Spirit and the waves are the Spirit because he's the water. And it's like, no, that was trying to drown them. Like, that doesn't make sense. So the question is, is what is this passage? What's the principle of it? Is it about God calming the storms? I mean, how many of you have been in the middle of chaos and then Jesus just walks in and says, be still? How many of you are in a situation right now where you wish Jesus would just walk into your chaos and say to it, be quiet? There are just times in my life where it's like, I know if I can take it, I can make it, but there are times where I just am like, Jesus, please make it stop. But is that really the point of this passage? No. It's actually Jesus' statement where he says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? See, the passage is a call to a deeper trusting faith, even in circumstances beyond our control. Yes, I just used the C word, control. The storms of today, they can arrive in a rush of circumstances beyond our control. The point of connection is not the precise situation of the disciples face in the boat or feelings of helplessness, really, that we can have, that they had. Events in our life, sometimes they leave us feeling at risk, whether it's in a job situation that calls us to take a stand in a severe illness of a loved one, an unexpected tragedy, or in the breakdown of a relationship or the breakdown of a car. Any of these storms in which we doubt God's goodness, we may feel God has left us defend for ourself. And we say things like, God, this wasn't supposed to happen. Why did you let this happen to me? Where were you? 
And Jesus was, was saying to us the whole time, where's your faith? Do you trust me? Do you believe me? See, the major focus of the passage comes in the disciples' struggle of faith in their discussion with Jesus' authority. Where's your faith? I love how, uh, I think it's Matthew, he says, why are you so afraid? Why have you doubted? I think Mark says it like that. Where is your faith? When storms come, what's our faith score when it passes? I can tell you mine doesn't hit pretty high on the Richter scale. I tend to be a panicker. I tend to like things in life that I can control. And God says, uh, that's not your job. That's my job. See, I feel like God wants me to say this to somebody here sitting here this morning or somebody maybe you're watching online or listening to it. and Maybe it might be more than one person, but I started, I, I just want to say it the way I feel like I got it. I didn't get a text message. God didn't call me. For any of you that are new to church life, what I, what I say is, is when I'm praying and I'm thinking about a passage and I'm thinking about you and saying what I need to say, I, I'm just like, God, give me something that will help change somebody's life. And sometimes change comes through comfort and love, and other times it comes through cor correction and shove. God knows what we need, when we need. But this is what I felt like I needed to say to some of you. In simple, God's saying, where is your faith? In fact, where are you? You faced some storms with nothing but anxiety that manifested itself through hysteria, fear, anger, self-justification. You've surrounded yourself with voices that support those fears. But hear my voice, where's your faith? Where's your faith? See, the, the message of that passage is nothing to do with Jesus calming the storm, he did that as a courtesy drop for the terror that they couldn't seem to get past. It was actually about Jesus saying, why did you fear in the face of your difficulty, knowing that I was in the boat with you, knowing that I told you to go there? I think sometimes we think that our lives as a Christian, that it's defined by Jesus making all the problems go away, and it's that's... That's the furthest thing from the truth. In fact, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus said to the disciples, let's go to the other side. There was a mission, there was a moment, there was a, there was a purpose, and it really didn't matter what was happening. They were gonna get there. He said, go there. And I think sometimes when we get those impressions in our life, for those of you maybe that have been in the church a little longer or, or a, a, a real long time, you have that like, I feel like God's telling me to do this. And then you do it, and then things don't go the way that you planned, and that's usually one of two things. Either you, you basically took your, your desires and you wrapped the name of God on it and just said, yeah, that's what God wants for my life, where it was really you saying that's what you wanted for your life. And by the way, that's a huge problem in church today. When we just, and that's an easy way to get out of, don't, can I just tell you as your pastor, I'm always going to be in your business to some extent, but like, don't ever use that line on me. The Lord told me because I'm going to so dismantle your life and get to the bottom of it and be like, oh really? Okay, let's do it. You know why we do that? We say that because we totally make it so that now, and if I say anything other than what you want to hear, what you're basically telling me is, is that you're not hearing from God. I heard from God, so I'm not going to listen to you really bad mistake with this guy or anyone on staff here. 
because we want God's best for your life and only you can keep yourself from God's best for your life, right? But think about this. The other side to it is, is that a lot of times we just, well, we just kind of look at something and we say, God told me to do it and he did tell you to do it. And as you chart in that direction, problems come and you thought that it was going to be problem free. And so you get discouraged. And then you get afraid. And then you begin to blame yourself or you blame God or you blame somebody or a missed moment. Listen, Joshua 1.9 says this, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God said to Abraham, Abraham, to Abraham to Lot, he says, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. I really believe that God makes plan A out of everything we do. He really does. He redeems, he restores, he renews, he makes, he, he, he makes those things happen. But, but when you're going in a direction, if you think that it's going to be easy, you miss the truth of Christianity, which is, is that it's not a problem-free life. Jesus is not spiritual Tylenol, and he is not a magic wish that makes every trial and trouble go away. How I wish, how I wish he, he did, but I want to say to you this morning that there's power in panic. It is easy to freak out. How many of you are freakers? Super freak. <laughs> so I remember, I've t told this before, but I remember I was, I was about 19. I, I was just coming to faith and they had me working with the youth group. It was their way of getting me discipled because I was too, uh, I, was, I was just in that in-between phase and I, I had just given my life to Christ. And we went to this youth event and as we were coming back, there was a car accident. It wasn't my fault. I wasn't driving. But uh, all of a sudden, this one girl in the car starts freaking out. She's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe have you ever Have you ever seen that before? Uh, like CSI or like, you know? And so then all of a sudden, I'm like, what do they do? I'm telling you, I'm not lying. What do they do in the movies? Like, this is where somebody's in shock and you slap them. And so I'm not lying. I go like this and I'm about to do it. And the youth pastor, thank goodness, he grabs me. I'm 19. I don't even know Jesus hardly at all. Grabs my hand and he's like, no, 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 that's not it. And I'm like, but that's what they do when somebody's in shock. It's like, wake up. No, you get them a blanket. You give them some orange juice. And, and, but some of us can freak out. And this is exactly what the disciples did. They sailed. Look, they sailed. They fell uh, Jesus fell asleep. They, they went and they woke him saying, don't you even care, master, that we're perishing? Like, dumb question. It's like, don't you even, don't you even care? Do you know what? I, I, for the long, this took me a long time to figure it out. But anger is actually a manifestation of anxiety. The next time that somebody is freaking out, Stop for a second and ask yourself, could it really be actually that they are terrified and they just don't know how to process that? That's what the disciples did. I haven't read anyone make this connection, but I see it as clear as crystal. When Jesus is sleeping in the boat, it harkens back to another story. It's Jonah. It says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and he laid down and was fast asleep. And they said, come, let us cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity. See, fear and panic seek 
someone to blame, but faith seeks someone to trust. And I think in your trials, as you're sailing your life and headed in the direction that God is guiding you, he wants you to not attack people, but the problem. Not to look for somebody to blame, but to look to him to trust in the middle of the chaos. There is a peace that can come into your life that is more sure than the one that stops the waves and wind the one that can carry you through that storm. See, anxiety asks the wrong question. They're asking Jesus, do you even care that we're perishing? And then, then after he does the miracle, they're like, who is this? They clearly had no idea. They were not there yet. Jesus asked the right question, where? Why are you so afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Jesus makes the point of the passage. Where is your faith? Faith, I feel like, are almost like keys. Are you like me, where it's time to go, and you're like, where are my keys? <laughs> or really, this totally is me. Where are my keys? How, how, has it just helped me feel better about myself? Thank you very much. You've looked for your keys, and they were in your hand. Anybody, really? All right, thank you very much. All right, I'm not alone on that, right? And so it's like, oh my goodness, where am I? And I feel like that sometimes that's like faith, like the, 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 you can't really get the ship going. And, and what's worse is, is where you just get, it's almost like going into a challenge without a faith of that, that trusts that the goodness of God in the, in the badness of life is like pushing your car to a hill and just jumping in behind the wheel and letting gravity do the work. It's like, no, you've got to have those keys. The engine of faith needs to do it in order to get you where you need to go. And uh, man, I just so need that. But uh, at the same time, while there is power in panic and not for the better, there is power in the paddle. There's power in the paddle. Watch, I can totally prove it to you. How many of you were scarred? Now, for some of you, I needed to hold up a, a, a flip-flop, a chancleta, right? Others of you received the shoe. There is power in the paddle, but that's, that's not the paddle I'm talking about. I'm talking about this one right here. <laughs> Thank you for being so impressed. Somebody out there went, oh, was that you, Alicia? <laughs> and uh, here's the incredible thing is, is that there, when you're in, a, if, you, if you know anything about sailing, like there comes a point sometimes where the worst thing you can do is have the sail up. So you need to drop the sail. And these particular fishing boats had oars in them. So these guys were rowing, turning, so that they were headed into the wave, because if they were side, sideways, they would have been capsized. I mean, this, this was total chaos. But they go down to Jesus, and they say, why are you sleeping? You see, Jesus, he just fed the 5,000. He was doing miracles in Capernaum in that area. He was healing people. He had even sent the disciples out two by two and they came back and had great success stories. And he says, let's go to the other side. You know what is on the other side of Capernaum where they are? Gadara, the demoniac. In fact, 
you can stand in Capernaum and I could stand in this place where the demoniac was and I could scream and you would hear my voice on the wind. Everybody in Capernaum would have heard the foul voice of 6,000 demons in that man on any given day. And just like Jonah, they're questioning Jesus if he really has the right direction. Whoa. I, I would love to be able to tell you that all of my degrees and all of my years of experience, I've never been to a place where I've ever questioned God. But I think more often than not, if we were honest, there are times where we're like, did you make a mistake? And we base it on basically the trouble. They were like, wait a second, we were going over here and now we're going over there. You're going in the wrong direction, which is completely the story of Jonah. They thought he was pulling a Jonah. We were having this great success. We went out two by two. We're going to kick this to the next level. And Jesus, no, he says things like, let's go to the other side. Or I need to go through Samaria. Because there's always one person that needs something special from God that nobody else can get. And that's really our job, right? Is not just hanging out with Jesus, but delivering Jesus to people who are in need. That's what that boat ride was all about. But there's power in the, in the paddles. Um, true story, hilarious. One time we went in and looked for the spoons and couldn't find them anywhere. And Drew had, I think it was Drew or Ethan, had hidden them all underneath the bed. They were like, we kept buying them and he was hiding them. And uh, my friend, by the way, they had this, my friend, the kid got smart and goes, you can't spank kids in Massachusetts. And the parent just looked at him and said, we're only two miles from New Hampshire. There's <laughs> power in the paddle. But the Bible says that he turned. Uh, let me see this right here. He saw that the disciples were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. There's, there's power in the paddle. They didn't wake Jesus right away. I mean, they were the fishermen. They were the ones that figured, hey, we've got the power. We've got the experience. Jesus could make a boat, but we know how to, to, to take care of a boat. But it was so desperate, they needed to wake him up. And Jesus says, row to the other side. You know, there's, there's an aspect to Christianity where uh, while some people think it's all problem-free, they also, we, we can, I don't want to say they, because it makes it sound like I've arrived and, and haven't, but there are a lot of people that are doing the walk of faith that think that they have no part to play, and it's supposed to be all Jesus doing all of the work. But the Bible says to love the Lord with all of your strength. Now, sometimes I feel inadequate in my own self, but I love the words of God to Gideon in Judges 6.14, where he says, you're going to go and deliver Israel. And he's like, who, me? Are you kidding me? Like, I hang out at the computer, not at the gym. And God turns to him and he said, the Lord turned to him and said this, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? You may feel inadequate. You may feel unable, but this is where sometimes I think we need 
to realize that we have an active part to play in this. And so we just, we've got to break out the oar. We've got to do the rowing. We've got to do our part with this. God calls us to partner with him. But then there are believers that just want to be receivers. If you look in Israel, the, the, the Galilee is, is, you could drink the Galilee water. I wouldn't recommend it without like a life straw or something like that. But you could, that's the water source to the Israelis. They take that water and distribute it throughout the land. It's the, it's the water source. But it flows down south into a place called the Dead Sea. And for thousands of years, all of that water has flown into this, this pit of a place where the water never drains out or continues to give out at the bottom. It just keeps taking in and taking in and taking in and taking in. And it is so disgusting because all of the, the thousands of years, the water's evaporated, the minerals have stayed behind. And if you were to taste it, it's 10 times saltier than the ocean. It's disgusting. And I think that that's the story of what it is to just simply be a receiver instead of giving out. There's a myth in, that was around just prior to the time of Jesus that came from the Aesop fables. You might have heard that. It's called the story of Hercules and the cart. There was a guy who was going down the road with a cart and two horses, and it got stuck in a ditch. And so he sat there, and he whipped the horses, and still he couldn't get out of it. And he screamed in frustration, couldn't get out of it. And then finally he said, oh, he starts praying to Hercules, Hercules, come with your great strength and you know, push me out of this cart. And Hercules appears before him, and he says, hey, buddy, get out, put your shoulder to the cart, and encourage your horses one more time. Because if you're unwilling to put your shoulder to the burden, why should Hercules lift a finger to help you? That's in the Bible? No. <laughs> but it's a great story of the moral of that we play a part, that, they, that we, we have to do our rowing. We have to participate. God helps those who help themselves. Well, yes and no. But when does paddling become the problem? See, there's another side to this is when there are some of us when it comes to, I think we all crave control over our circumstances. We, none of us like being uncomfortable or in danger. And some of us freak out and get angry and lash out and find somebody to blame and do that. But then others of us, we just say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get me through this situation. God helps those who help themselves. I have somebody who I'm going to refer to as my paddling pal. Very, very good friend. Problem solver, not a problem spotter. Those are invaluable. Anybody can point out problems. Very few people see them and suggest solutions and solve them. He did, not only took his responsibility every single time and situation I journeyed with him, but often he carried even the responsibility of other people. He was strong, noble, responsible. He paddled so hard, but that was his problem. There was a point where he realized, I'm not able to solve the problem. Some of us in this room here this morning, um, I, think I, I think I've just grabbed the attention of that unique few of you, where you just think, if I just double and triple down, that will solve a problem. There are some storms that you need to row through. There are some storms where Jesus needs to still them. 
But sometimes there are storms that Jesus has to say, peace, be still. Because your oar, your abilities, were never intended to be the final solution to your problems. Jesus was. That's what a life of, of faith is. That's what a life of trust is. And while there's power in the panic, no doubt about it, and there's power in the paddle, no doubt about it, there's power in faith, which is the point of exactly what we're talking about here. Listen to this. Matthew 14, 28 to 31. Let me share this with you. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink and cry out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, listen to this, still the same lesson, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Alicia Nichols actually, believe it or not, gave me my first version of this painting. I actually said publicly, um, I, I, would, I saw this painting, I'd love to get a copy of it, and she just so kindly gave me that. Um, uh, I have been looking at Ferraris lately and have been thinking the same thing. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, I love this vantage point. You can say what you want about Peter. But he's the only one of them that walked on water. And there's nothing in there about he took three steps and went under, by the way. Nothing. He could have cruised a quarter of a mile with Jesus. But there was a moment where he took his eyes off of not necessarily Jesus, because it wasn't like, as long as you look at me, this will happen. But his faith in Jesus to do something that was just beyond what was normal, beyond what was natural, supernatural. And he took his eyes off of that, and he let the waves and the wind become bigger than Jesus' ability. He went down. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Listen to this. Some storms he stills, others he wants you to paddle. But there's a point where you can start doing Jesus's job with your paddle. And those of you who do that know who you are and you know that struggle, like my friend, and I so value his, him. And there was a moment where I looked at him and I said, I feel like God's telling you, this isn't a storm that's going to be still. This isn't a storm that you're going to row through. This is one you need to walk on. At one point or another in your life, you're going to have to overcome with your faith. And that's what 1 John says. It's a beautiful passage. 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is our victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Listen, there is a difference between a fairy tale of Jesus and a faith of Jesus. I love how my classmate from years back, Mark Batterson, he wrote in a book, he said this. He said, either Jesus is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And I know that that sounds really polarizing, and, but I think the, if you look at the three instances of, of water and water walking and storms, 
every single one of them comes down to the same thing Jesus is saying to them. Where's your faith? If there was one thing that I wish could be restored, if there's one thing, as I was talking to the former dean of the school where I worked at, said, what's the thing that's missing in churches today? If there was one thing that, it, that is missing today that needs to be brought back into the church, what would you say it is? Without hesitation, he said, faith. Faith is an assuredness in the goodness of God despite of the badness of situations going on around us. It means that if Jesus said, go to the other side, we go to the other side. It means that we don't think that the Christian life is the problem-free life. We don't think that the Christian life is, is the uh, difficulty-free life. And we don't think that, that God has just abandoned us to do it on our own because some storms you can row through. Some need to be stilled, but then every once in a while you need to say, I, there's no natural way that I can make it through this. I need to walk on it. And I need a faith that trusts in the goodness of God. I'm stepping out of the boat. And that can be as simple as defying what is normal for your life. Choosing to trust God in storms versus panicking and paddling your way through them. And coming back to Christ and saying, oh God, help me. I close with this one unique story. You many kind of watched this on the sidelines. I'm a panicker by nature. Um, and I'm a paddler by nature. But there was this one moment where for the first time in a long time, I actually feel like I, I water walked. We had a car that we paid like $21,000 for in little drip installments. Um, the car owned us, we didn't own the car. And eventually we, we got ahead of things, we sold our house, we said, let's just pay it off. And we paid it off. And, and uh, we, things were going good. And then one morning we woke up and we looked outside and we're like, where's the car? It was completely gone. Someone had boosted about 15 cars in our neighborhood. And I just don't know how to describe it other than the fact that I felt like God kept telling me, it's going to be okay. I freaked out because about a month and a half ago, I called up talking about canceling the theft insurance on my car and thought that I had put that and told the person specifically that that's what I wanted to do. But from their perspective, they thought that I didn't. And so I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I, I love it when my, my insurance company makes mistakes like that. They said, well, Mr. Conway, you never really officially canceled it. And so I was like, well, uh, bad news. Um, our car got stolen. So they gave us $6,000, something like that. And uh, long story short, uh, my wife wanted a particular car. She was like, I want a Kia Sorento, you know, hatchback. Um, and so we just looked at it and then she found it. She's like, there it is, the car that Jesus wants me to have. And so, you know, we, she, she is, man, let me tell you what, you ever looking for a house, she is the woman to talk to. She knows how to find deals in any market, but she found that car. It was right on the edge of Connecticut at, at a used car place. And so we drove all the way out there. We slapped down the cash. We got the car, we're driving it and it's going awesome. I mean, we're 
finally moving back from, from being the victims of having our car stolen to me panicking and thinking I, I canceled uh, theft insurance to find out the miracle that it did. And just the whole time, I just was so calm. I'm like, it's going to be okay. And then, and then finally, Ethan is driving home from church with the car and the engine seizes. And still inside of me, I felt like, God, I'm going to trust your goodness. So I start looking into secondhand engines to drop it in. It was at about like 125,000 miles. You know, just go to a junkyard, drop an engine in. Hey, you know, bad things happen to good people all the time. There are people that have it way worse than us. That's what us rowers do. We kind of compare ourselves with how bad everybody else has it. That's why I just need to keep going, you know. And uh, all of a sudden the junkyard guy says, hey, there's a recall on that engine. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, when they were putting them together, they found a whole bunch of metal file shavings inside the, the floor, and they got deep inside the engine so that eventually they get into the cylinders, and then they lock the engine and seize it, and they're replacing the engines with brand new engines at no charge. So I'm driving around. We're driving around in a car that the outside of the body is 100 and 150,000 miles on it, which we, we're fixing this stuff as it goes, but it really doesn't matter because we've got a 25,000 mile engine in it because we purchased the car that my wife wanted that we didn't realize it was going to seize, that didn't have a thing on it, to, didn't know it had a, a, a claim on it, all because somebody stole our car out of our parking lot. You can trust Jesus. You can trust him in the storm. And the question really is always this, where's our faith? We need to trust in the goodness of God again, church. We need to realize that God is not against us, he's for us. And while I would love to give all kinds of altar calls in a thousand directions, I think really what we can do here this morning is sing about the goodness of God and reflect on our own life and ask ourselves, all right, if I'm in this storm, Am I really trusting in the goodness of God? Am I going to trust someone or blame someone? Am I an over-rower? Or am I going to get out of the water? And even if I do sink and Jesus has to tell me, hey, listen, if it took them multiple lessons for him to say, where's your faith? They got it eventually. And we'll get that lesson eventually. Are you willing to learn that lesson? To take your faith to the next level to say, Lord, I'm not gonna give you my trust until you prove yourself. I'm gonna give you my trust so that you can prove yourself again and again and again and again. That's your God and he's good. Let's sing. Thank you again for being with us today. If you want to watch this or listen to it again, you can always go to YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And for all news and updates about what's happening here at the church, you can go to ne-cc.org or lowellag.org. Thank you and God bless.